the book of life. It truly is what separates the Bible from any and all other books. It's more, of course, than a commentary. It's more than a history book. And it certainly is more than a textbook. And we need to understand that and keep that at the forefront of our thoughts because it's so easy for us to allow the scriptures just to become another book. If we're studying it in a Bible study and all we focus on is learning more about the word, then we're really missing why we should be studying. While the scriptures truly speak to history accurately, and they inform us of all things to which they speak in an accurate way. It is more than just information. It is that which gives life, and it is that which transforms our life. It's a remarkable book. I'm sure that you are aware of this. It, of course, has 66 books. We probably all know that, don't we? We probably could have gotten that test question correctly. It has over 440,000 words in the original languages. This breaks down to over 300,000 words in the Hebrew and Aramaic Old Testament and over 130,000 words in the Greek New Testament. That's the Nestle Allen 28th edition. Does that mean anything to anybody here today at all? Okay. No worries if it doesn't, but just to be accurate because uh, different editions have, of course, different things in them. So the totals may not be exact. You've probably heard of the Gutenberg Bible, haven't you? It was the first edition of a scripture to be produced with a movable type printer. And not too long ago, we're told that a copy sold to a Japanese bookseller for f almost five and a half million dollars. The Bible, as you could have guessed, is the best-selling and most widely distributed book in the world. The Guinness Book of World Records estimates that 5 trillion-plus copies have been sold. China is the world's largest producer of Bibles. The Amity Printing Company in Nanjing prints over 10 million Bibles annually and exports them to more than 70 countries printed in 90 different languages. Sadly, the Chinese government has removed Bibles from all online stores in China. In 100 BC, Antiochus IV, the king of the Seleucid Empire, who brutally persecuted the Jews, burned all the scriptures he could find and decreed death to all owners. Yet, they have survived. In AD 301 to 304, the Roman Emperor Diocletian burned thousands of copies of the Bible, commanded that all Bibles be destroyed, and decreed that any home with a Bible in it should be burned. In fact, he even built a monument over what he thought was the last surviving Bible. He then proudly proclaimed, the Christian name has been extinguished. The very next emperor, Constantine, made Christianity the state religion of Rome. And 500 years after Diocletian's death, his grave 
a huge mausoleum became a Christian church. Voltaire, you've heard of him, I'm sure, the great French philosopher, 1694 to 1778, once declared in 100 years the Bible would be a forgotten and unknown book. A hundred years later, the Geneva Bible Society occupied his home. In 1778, Voltaire proudly boasted it took 12 men to start Christianity. One, of course, referring to himself, will destroy it. Later that very year, he died. The American political leader, Robert G. Ingelsall, 1833 to 1899, once proclaimed, in 15 years, I will have this book, the Bible, in the morgue. Fifteen years later, he was in the morgue. The Bible has been attacked and many have attempted to destroy or minimize it, but it still stands. Why? Because it is the powerful, living self-revelation of the eternal God. And so today we want to talk about it being the book of life. As you can tell, that has many applications. It is a living word which reveals to us the very character and nature of an eternal God. It's a living word. Not only that, it produces life in all of those who believe in Jesus. And it continues to transform them through a renovation process from the inside out as they believe and apply the scriptures. So we want to look at a few things today that will hopefully help us in our understanding and also our application of this great doctrinal truth that the Word of God is alive and that it really takes on, by promise of God himself, the very character and nature of God. It is powerful, and it will last. Every word of God uh, is certainly established and is going to be preserved exactly how God intended. And <clears throat> that word is going to last and continue on regardless of the efforts of human beings to undo it or minimize it or destroy it. Well, let's look and see what the Bible says about itself. What does the Bible say concerning this matter? We come to a passage like Hebrews chapter 4. You know this passage well, I'm sure. We look at verse 12. For the word of God is living. It's living. It's alive. It's not just a, a book written on paper. The words have life to them. And it's effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas, the thoughts, and the intents of the heart. Now, those of us who are Christians, those of us who are believers, who've had a relationship with God through Jesus, who have spent any time at all in looking into the scriptures and allowing them to have their work done in our lives and our hearts in every facet of who we are and what we do and say and think, we understand this passage, don't we? We understand the, the life-giving, living power of the Word of God. 
And we also understand how effective the scriptures are. We could probably all uh, tell testimonies today on a personal note as well as on a relational note as to how effective the Word of God is. Now, in your life, surely there has been a time when you have been reading, studying, memorizing, or hearing the Scriptures taught that they had an effective and powerful ministry in your life. Maybe whenever you hear that, you think back to the time that you first heard and believed the gospel. Didn't that bring a powerful change in your life? And you can think back to before you came to Christ, and you can remember what that life looked like, can't you? You remember your motivations, your thoughts, your words, your actions. And a remarkable change happened after you believed. That change is talked about in 2 Corinthians, as you know. If we're in Christ, we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. How? Because of the living Word of God. Maybe you can think about a relational story today where you know someone and you have seen the power of the Scriptures in them. One of the very rewarding things that I get to see and experience with you as our church family and even outside of our church family is the power of Scripture at work in you. Some of you have uh, come and talked to me in my office, and we've talked about challenges and issues and problems or concerns that you have. Obviously, in those contexts, it is important that we bring the Word of God to bear on the situation. And with some of you, that has happened. The joy in that is to be able to see you take those scriptures and apply them to your life, and change happens. I remember a difficulty that we were facing as a family. And so I, I assessed this, and I thought somehow, some way, we need to bring theology or the scriptures to bear on this difficult time in our family's life. I began to think about it. I began to seek God's mind about it. I wanted it to be more than just them having to listen to me again. <laughs> you don't know what it's like to live with a pastor, okay? You got to listen to him on Sunday. You got to listen to him on Wednesday. You got to listen to him all week long. And uh, it gets tiring, I'm sure. And I thought, I want it to be more than that. I want, them, I want my family to experience something that is deeper, that is better than just me, right, trying to help. So God impressed upon our heart as a family to, to take the Scriptures. And in this case, we went to the book of Psalms. And we found appropriate Psalms that fit our context that fit where we were as a family. And we just gathered for, we did this for a season. So it was an extended period of time. And we just gathered around the, the dining room table. How many of you still have one of those? Okay. Believe me, it's good to gather around that table with your children and some of you, your grandchildren. That's a very good idea because it allows for this kind of thing to happen. Not that you couldn't do it somewhere else, don't get me wrong, there's nothing sacred about the dining room table, but it's a wonderful place for these things. 
And we just decided to take a psalm and kind of divide it up among the family and just kind of go around the table and pray that psalm to God. And you know what? It did so much more for my family than I could have ever done. Oh, they could listen to me. I could tell them what God thinks and what God says. I could explain it, make it accessible, all of that theology to them. And while those explanations are consistent with Scripture, they would have influence and effective ministry. But there was something far greater than that that my family needed at that time. They didn't need to hear from Dad. They needed to hear from God. And when you take the Scriptures and you pray them like that and you work your way through the Psalms and you do that, it has a powerful effect on people. Why? Because it's alive. Because it has that power and that ability to draw us closer to God. It brings our thoughts in line with God's thoughts. There's nothing more powerful than that. I've said it to you many times and I'll say it again today. The most important thing that you, that I can know is what God thinks about anything. And we find that in the word. And when we pray the word back to him, we learn what he thinks about these things. And God helps us immensely, far greater than what any human being could help us. While humans are helpful, they aren't God. So run to God. I said to you a week ago or so, the Bible should be your go-to, right? It should be our go-to. And this is why. Run to God and allow yourself to be aligned with Scripture. So this word is is powerful. It's sharper. It's discerning. It tells us who we really are, and it informs us of who we should be while having the power to show us the way to that result, the living Word of God. In John chapter 6, it says the Spirit is the one who gives life The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and what? And are life. Jesus speaking. The words that he spoke were life. Doesn't that remind us of the very familiar verse in just eight chapters later, chapter 14 in John's gospel, when Jesus says to his disciples who were concerned with finding him again after he left them, he says, you know the way because I am the way. I am the truth. I am what? The life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The living, powerful Word of God. Jesus said, as I spoke these things to you, they are full of spirit and they are full of life. How about that familiar passage in 1 Peter? Beginning there, chapter 22 of, uh, uh, verse 22 rather of chapter 1. By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again. There's that new life. You've received new life. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Where does that come from? Through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like a flower of the grass. 
The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Why? Because it's alive. And this is the word that was preached as the gospel to you. So here it is again. We were born again, not of something that humans came up with, because humans are like the flesh is like grass. Human beings is like, are like grass, and, and they're like the flowers that come. They're beautiful for a season, and then they wither and they die. But the word of the Lord endures forever. It has life. It is living, and it is lasting. And so that word that brought us to salvation that Timothy was reminded of by Paul that was making him wise unto salvation also grows us in our sanctification because it has life. Notice this thought with me before we transition. The word of God is alive and everything else in our world is either dead or dying. Death is the monarch of this world. The world is like one huge cemetery. People that talk about living it up don't realize that they are dying while they speak of living. But there is one thing in this world that is alive with an inexhaustible, inextinguishable light, and that is God's Word. This book is the only object that corruption cannot touch, whose validity cannot be removed, whose reality cannot deteriorate, and whose truth cannot decay. The Bible. Now, what is the relevance of all of this to me? Why is this relevant? Well, I think it's pretty obvious in, in some ways and cases to us today, but I want to close our time together by just reminding us all of these five things concerning the living Word of God and its relevance. It is alive, it is well, it is living, and it is lasting. It will endure every test, and it will triumph over every enemy. So what? Let's talk about that for a few moments as we uh, take the rest of our time to make it applicable. The first thing that I want to speak to you about is that God is a God of life, and he gives life to all who believe. God is a God of life. And we're going to see in Scripture where all three parts of what we call the Trinity are brought into this discussion. Notice, and what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? For we are the sanctuary of the living God. As God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. God is a God of life, and he is the living God. And he doesn't dwell like other gods in temples that are made with hands. The scriptures even address that idolatry of the first century when they call out the inability of statues to do anything relevant for anyone. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They're a tribute to something based in reality, perhaps, or something based in mythology, as the Greeks had, had many examples of that. But these things that have been made with the hands of human beings 
had no power at all. Why? Because they weren't alive. God is a living God. He is the only living God, and he has given us his self-revelation in his living word. Acts chapter 3 reminds us of this. You killed the source of life. Who is the apostle talking about here? He's talking about the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, calling him the source of life, whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. So the Father, God the Father, in 2 Corinthians 6, is a living God. He's the God of life. In Acts chapter 3, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, is the source of life according to Acts 3. And what about John chapter 6? Again, the Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. The Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, also labeled with this powerful description of being one who is involved in life-giving power. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Why? Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for these things. God in all of the manifestation of the Trinity, all three parts, all three persons having this quality of life and the product of the scriptures that truly emanates from God whose main character is Jesus and whose process was, was laid out by the Spirit is truly this living word of God. Well, as we accept that and know that, there is with that a certain responsibility. This living word, in order for it to have effect and power and influence and impact, must be obeyed. And with this acceptance, I said, comes this accountability. Let's look at 1 Peter 1. By obedience to the truth having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. By obedience to the truth, accountability. You see, if you accept God's word for what it is, as the powerful living word, you are placing yourself under the accountability of that word and to God himself. Now, since the fall, man has tried to escape this accountability. And we have seen philosophies and religions and everything else spring out of those efforts to escape being accountable to God. It is really why we have evolution today and the belief in that theory. That is man's best attempt at foundational thoughts concerning origins to escape accountability to God. You see, if you buy into the Genesis narrative of creation, you have to submit yourself to your creator. That's the way it is. But if you can somehow explain away or somehow dismiss or disprove the creation narrative as found in Genesis, then you relieve yourself of that accountability. You are not accountable to anyone but yourself. 
And as long as your choices don't harm yourself and harm others, then they must be okay. There is no standard. There is no absolute in that belief system. And that is man's attempt to escape accountability. There are others as well, but that is one which is in the bedrock of our educational system, as you know. We must obey this living word for it to have impact. And it's through the obedience to the truth that purification comes. That is the next thought this morning. The living word has a purifying power that is capable of cleaning up anyone who believes. Notice there are no qualifications in 1 Peter 1. He does not say except for. There are no exception clauses here in 1 Peter 1. He says here, basically, if you obey the truth, it has the purifying power, right? You have purified yourselves through this obedience. You have submitted yourself by obeying this living word, and it has a purifying effect on you, period. There are no exceptions here. There are no qualifications here. If you are in the process of doing this, you will be changed. Why? Well, we sang about it earlier in, in our time of worship. Because his grace truly is greater than all our sin. Do we believe that today? Do we believe it about ourselves? Okay. How about others how about others? Have you ever seen someone who, who has done something terrible? I mean, really terrible. What are your thoughts about that? How do you process that? Do you believe that this, that this obedience to the truth and this gospel that we say we believe transforms people, that it truly has no limits? Or are there things in your thoughts that are beyond God's grace? Think about it. Don't be too quick to answer. Anyone, through obedience to the truth, can accept and experience this purification process. You and everyone else. Now, what's going on in our lives right now? What is happening right now? What happened over the course of this last week? Is there any corruption in our life that needs purifying, that needs cleaning. I shared with you not too long ago the story of getting new appliances, right? Surely you haven't forgotten the story yet. Some of you had a lot of fun at my expense uh, to the point where I even received a video from YouTube about how I could fix my problem from the mayor of Hudsonville, okay? So that was really humbling. He's uh, out of town, so I might get away with that. As we were getting rid of the old appliances and pulling them out, of how many of you have ever done that? You done that? What did you find behind and underneath those appliances? Oh, my goodness. Now, some of you, I know, pull them out on a regular basis and clean back there, but you'll never admit it. I know you do that. <laughs> we don't, okay? We just don't do that. 
So we pull this stuff out, and I mean, there's just crud everywhere. It's, I mean, it, it's, it's awful. And, and so what do you have to do with that? Well, you don't want it to stay there. You want to clean it up. You'd never want the people coming to install the new appliances to see that, right? So you're going to clean that stuff up and act like you have your act together when you really don't and just get it all out. But you, you, you see that visible, right? You see that visible thing and, 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 and you've got to take care of that dirt. None of us probably would ever think of putting the new appliance just over and on top of all of that dirt and filth. We sold three of the four old appliances. So we're looking at those and we're going, okay, well, before those people come get these things, right, we got to clean them up. So I have to, I can't take credit for that. Lori did every bit of that and she keeps them clean anyway, but they weren't clean enough for somebody else. So there she is scrubbing the refrigerator and I mean, it looked brand new and I'm like, why are we getting rid of this thing? But I wasn't dumb enough to say that out loud. That's just a conversation I had with myself. But when you see something like that in your home, it doesn't have a place there and you want to take care of it. What about in our lives? It's not always that easy, is it? But yet, if we cooperate with the Spirit and we submit ourselves to the Word of God by being obedient to it, the Spirit of God has a way of bringing about that purification and growth. And even though it might be a bit painful, it's always worth it, isn't it, to do that? So if you see the dirt today in your life, let God's Word clean that up and cooperate with the Spirit. And you know, you know how good that feels and how good that is because you've done it before. So don't let anything stand in the way of you experiencing that renewal and that walk with Jesus. Next of all, the living word transforms believing ones from the inside out. What does it say here? Obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for what? Sincere love of the believers. Love without hypocrisy, right? That's speaking to what's going on in our hearts. It's the word of God by obeying it that has this powerful impact on us, not focusing on changing our behavior, but the root of our behavior. It's not just loving brothers and sisters in Christ. It's sincerely loving them with all the right motives. You know, we can look like we love other people, but if we're really using other people, we might be able to get away with that for a while, but that's not sincere love. Only the scriptures can do this because they're alive. You can go read a book on how to win friends and influence people, and you can start practicing all those methods and saying all the right things, and, and you might be able to win some friends and influence some people. But the Bible can do more than that for you. The Bible can change your heart about those people. The Bible can truly cause you to sincerely love those people and to maintain pure motives in all of your relationships with those people. There's no book at Barnes & Noble that can do that. Only the Bible can do that. It's the living word that can transform us from the inside out. Those who have believed obedience to the truth, which is the gospel. 
So let's not substitute it for anything else. Let's not run to anything else. As we continue our study about the Bible, let's just submit to it and allow it to have this powerful impact. Finally, the living word endures all tests of time and eternity. Look at verses 23 through 25. We've read these together already. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached as the gospel to you. It will be here as long as we need it, right? We need it all the way to heaven's gates. We need it all the way there. And it will always be here for that purpose. God has given us his promise that it endures forever. Believers in him will never be without what they need from him. And God truly gives it to us. Now, there are efforts of humans to suppress it and even destroy it, which probably is a good reason why we should memorize it, right? So that we have it in our hearts, so that it guides us correctly, so that we can cleanse our ways. The point today is that this truly is the book of life. And we've talked about the relevance of it to us. Let's make it real. Let's translate it into the language of everyday living for the glory of God. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for this time where we can exalt you and where we can have a good view of your word cultivated. Help its relevance and power that it has life, the quality of life, that it is alive itself. Help that all to be powerfully relevant to us today. And as we leave here, may this truth travel well with us. May it not be forgotten but may it be applied and lived out for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.